Before you get into today's episode, please be aware that the story we are about to tell you is pretty graphic. If you or anyone around you is triggered by gruesome violence, please just proceed to the next episode or go back and listen to something a little more lighthearted. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and stay weird. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show where we from now on will only cover stories named after our favorite metal bands. That's right. We're starting today. Yeah. You'll find out in a second what that means. Yeah. As always, please check out all of our social channels. Um, We have our TikTok. We got some new videos up, so please check them out. I've not done anything with TikTok, so Maddie is always the one on that shit. So thank you, Madeline. Uh-huh. And um, our Instagram, super easy to follow someone on Instagram. It's one of the easiest things in life that you can possibly do. Yeah. I mean, zero effort really goes into that. So follow us there and email us. What if I told you podcasts at gmail.com? We'd love it. We would. It's a bit more of a commitment than the other two, but yeah. we would we would enjoy it. It is Sunday. I hate Sundays with a passion. Same. And it's lunchtime. We had some Taco Bell. Yeah, we did. It was fire. So good. Uh, I'm drinking a Baja Blast. Keeping it healthy. Straight up. I'm I'm drinking water. Well, yeah, I guess I am double fisting water and Baja Blast. You kind of have to. Oh, for sure. As someone who doesn't drink much pop, mm-hmm. if I have some, I have to also have water because it like the film it creates yeah. in your mouth from the sugar. I just don't like it. Yeah, I don't like that either. Something about um, a Baja Blast though, it's just what I needed today. Yeah, that's what Dakota typically gets Baja Blast. I mean, you're not getting it anywhere else. That's true. You're not. I actually never get it. I always get Sierra Mist if I'm gonna get a pop. Yeah, I just don't know who's rolling through Taco Bell, and they're like, yeah, can I get a Pepsi? No. I've literally never seen anyone do that. Let's get a Baja Blast. There you go. So, anyways. Anyways. Um, we got a pretty sweet shout-out on Instagram. Yeah, it was really surprising. Um, super surprising, but really welcomed. It's from the account. Now, I've been struggling with how to actually say the name of this account. Yeah, I know that she has a podcast. Right. The host name is Abby, and her podcast is called Friends of Friends. She did a post on Instagram and mentioned us, and it was really sweet and precious. She said, they're my idea of what besties sound like. Plus, they make time for this, even though I'm sure, pretty sure one of them is a mom. And I think that's wholesome. So fucking cute. <laughs> Super cute. I've never in my life been called wholesome. We're wholesome as fuck. I mean... We, I mean... Hell yeah. We're the whole package. I don't know what anyone would, would want other than what we have to offer. You know what? That is true. I am wearing a matching pajama set right now. You are? That's pretty wholesome. Yeah. We're here. It's noon. I also topped off my Taco Bell with two mini pumpkin spice donuts that Madeline had on her counter. They were delicious. They're so good. I love like a like a powdered mini donut. Yes. Why do they feel refreshing in your mouth? I don't know. They're so good. I love the texture. It's the texture for sure. And they're cold. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It might, maybe the cabinet that I keep them in, since it's right next to the fridge. Yeah, that might be it. a little residual coolness. But I feel like any powdered donut I've ever eaten is cold. Huh. 
Why aren't they room temp? I don't know. These are the questions we need answers to. There's something in those, and it's probably making us radioactive. Oh, 100%. Totally. But they are amazing. The ones that we were eating are tasty cake. Yeah, they're good. So good. I always get the just the regular powdered cinnamon ones. Mm-hmm. Those are my go-to mini donuts is the tasty cake cinnamon. And then in the fall, they release the pumpkin. And it's... Yeah. I'm not a huge pumpkin spice fan when it comes to, like, drinks. Same. I do not. Well, I don't do any flavored drinks. Well, that's anyway, true. So, but that's right, true. we are not pumpkin spice latte gals. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If I'm going to consume pumpkin spice, it will be in the form of a donut. Yeah. If I, if I want to have a little bit of a pumpkin flavor, I'm eating donuts. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie. Yep. Pumpkin bread. Yep. I want to eat my pumpkin. I yeah, don't want to drink, drink it. it. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Would that be a vegetable? Pumpkin is a vegetable. Okay. Oh, see, we are health conscious. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, pumpkin. this is the time of year where we get our veggie. Well, you eat vegetables all I, the fucking time. I eat but... vegetables at every meal. <laughs> How many orange vegetables do you eat, though? Um, well, I eat carrots almost every day. So, one. Of I'll... course you eat carrots every day. <laughs> Monday through Friday, I am really healthy. That's good. The weekends just go straight to shit. Yeah, I had like one slice of pizza yesterday at five for dinner. And then woke up this morning still not hungry. But then I just fucked up some Taco Bell and ate donuts. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. I mean, let's see. We had chicken sandwiches yesterday. Oh, yeah. We got some spicy chicken sammies yesterday for lunch. Yeah. And then at like eight o'clock I had ramen. I love some ramen. I know. I like the creamy chicken ramen noodles. I just don't buy ramen. I typically don't either. The ramen that's in our cabinet now, we got whenever my brother and sister-in-law stayed here while we were out of town. Yeah. So I usually don't have, like, ramen or food like that in the house because I'll just fucking eat it. And I don't want to be unhealthy. Ramen is another thing you could totally stockpile for an apocalypse. Totally. You can boil water. Yeah. That's perfect. I've never thought of this. And you can pull a Schmidt from New Girl and just eat that shit. Crunchy. <laughs> like, do you put the seasoning on it? or? Nah, you just gotta eat a plain. No thanks. Um, but when people stay at our house when we go out of town, I always buy food for them to eat. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? Say, hey, stay here, but all you can eat is fucking Brussels sprouts? No. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but they never eat it. That's my, my sister stayed here while we were in Colorado for five days. Mm-hmm. I bought her tater tots because she had the three kids with her as yeah. well. So I had, like, tater tots, mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, SpaghettiOs. And I said, sis. Eat whatever you want. Eat all of it. And if you don't eat it, please take it home. Yeah. We get home and all the shit is still there. (laughs) And I'm like, if I didn't get Snapchats from you four times a day at my house, I would think you didn't even stay here. Yeah. And she's like, well, I, I forgot and I just left it. And I'm like, so I'm just going to have to eat this now. Now I want mac and cheese. I don't think I have any. Well, I'm not hungry for it. Right. Mac and cheese is so good. Mac and cheese was my favorite food until I was like 20. Craft. Well, I like the Velveeta shells and cheese. That's just that's just different. It is it's a totally different taste. It is a different taste. I love me some craft. Now I I always think I want it and then I eat it and I'm like I don't want to finish eating this. Yeah. I I don't know why. I feel that. I don't want to just eat Kraft mac and cheese for my entire meal. I don't want that much in my system. Mm -hmm. Dude, me and Lauren, when we lived together, we would just each get a box of Velveeta shells and cheese, and we would each eat that whole shit. Well, duh. Fuck yeah. We just sit. We had this god-awful 
couch. It was gigantic. It was, mm-hmm. like, the size of this room. But it was hideous. It had fringe. Oof. It was brown. No. It was horrible. But it was super comfortable. And me, you, both dogs, and Dakota could sprawl out on this fucking thing. Hell yeah. I don't know where, where she got it. But it was, we called it Mike Tyson. <laughs> because it was just so huge. Mm-hmm. And we would just, like, stretch out on this couch and eat a whole box of mac and cheese each. That's that's a whole vibe. It was a whole vibe for sure. I just don't ever think to like do mac and cheese as a side with any meal that I make. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll put it on my grocery list. There you go. I do need to adult today at some point and get fucking groceries. Mm-hmm. I took an assessment of my kitchen and I rarely have to buy groceries now. I bought stuff to make chili, but I just don't want to make chili. It's like 90 degrees outside. Yeah, what the, who the fuck is eating chili? God damn it. What is the high today? I'm pissed about it. I'm just going to get even more mad when I look at it. Too hot? And Dakota's in freaking Northern California, and he's like, oh, it's cold. Fuck off. That's ridiculous. The high here is 88 degrees, and he's over there wearing a jacket. No. The fuck come, you gonna... come on, it's fucking September 19th and it's 88 degrees. He's just over here peacocking around in his jacket and his beanie. Get out of here, Dakota. Oh my god. I hope you're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, would you like to tell them what we're talking about today? I absolutely would. This is week three of spook season, mm-hmm. two- 2021. And... We are going to be covering a very famous cold case. You will all have heard of this and probably all know the entire story, but we're going to tell it to you anyway. It's the murder of Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is like one of the very first murders you hear about, honestly. Yeah. And if you've never heard of it, where the fuck have you been? Yeah, I just wouldn't understand that. Yeah. I mean... Jesus Christ. Also, the Black Dahlia is the name of a death metal band. Yeah, and if you would follow us on Instagram, I can almost guarantee that when I post to our story tonight, that will be playing in the background. Absolutely. Not um, sure which song yet. That's um, tough. But that's we'll figure tough. it out. We'll figure it out. Um, I actually was fortunate enough to see them live in like 2010, I think. Damn, at... that was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. It was a really long time ago. It was at Summer Slaughter, I think. Like okay. one of those big warp tour style events where it's all day. I saw Black Dahlia. I saw Job for a Cowboy. That's how you know that shit is old. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else was there? All Shaw Parish was there. I think M- Marilyn Manson was like the headliner, but we left before he played. Slayer was there. So you could definitely see the two different types of people who were there. So you had, like, the Manson and Slayer fans. And then you had the the scene kids who were there to see Black Dolly Murder. I love that. It was really, it was a really good show. They they were probably my favorite of the night. Um, Suicide Silence was there. This was pre-Mitch Lucker dying. So I managed to see... Suicide Silence, which with Mitch Lucker, which is a real win. That is a win. He was my very first favorite metal vocalist, and he's still he's still top three. R.I.P. Oh my god, I was like super sad when he died, and then I went and picked up Dakota from the airport after his last deployment. Mm-hmm. He'd been out for ten months, and the first thing I said to him was like, "Babe, Mitch Lucker died." <laughs> Good to see you though. I haven't seen you in 10 months. <laughs> Mitch Lucker died, like, yesterday. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a good coming home story. Yeah, I know. It's so romantic. Yeah. And... Did you even, like, get out of the car? Or... Yeah, I met him at the gate. Okay. I was just making sure at least that. <laughs> he just, like, whip up and he hops I, in. Mitch Lucker died. <laughs> hey. And it was, I mean, I, like, dress really cute. I still have the dress that I wore when I picked him up. Oh. And so I was, like, very cute and picked him up and then, you know, had to ruin his day. Yeah, of course. Duh. And we, if he's listening, I mean, his day really needs to be ruined today because 
of the fact that he is there and we are here. Yeah, since he got to spend all day yesterday in the Redwood Forest wearing a jacket and in the rain. and That's so mysterious of him. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm going to need him to get like a GoPro helmet. Oh, I should And make his GoPro. own like little documentary about himself. The travels. Yes. Of D Sidwell. Love that. Yeah. All right. So Elizabeth Short was a Boston native. She was born July 29th, 1924 to parents Cleo and Phoebe Short. Best names ever. Love that. Elizabeth had four sisters, two younger and two older. And I'm telling you right now, no way I could be the mother of five girls. Oh, my God. Absolutely not. Just being the mother of, like, me and both of my sisters. Horror. Can't do that. Horror. The Short family moved to Portland, Maine in 1927 for a brief time before settling in Medford, which is a suburb of Boston. And this is where Elizabeth was raised and spent most of her life. Her father built miniature golf courses. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. That is so amazing. Until the 1929 stock market crash when he lost most of his savings and the family became broke. Which every family at this time became broke. Every family. Obviously. In 1930, her father's car was found abandoned on the Charleston Bridge and it was assumed that he had committed suicide by jumping into the Charles River. So, believing that her husband was deceased, Elizabeth's mom moved with her five daughters into a small apartment in Medford and worked as a bookkeeper to support them all. How wild would it be to be a mother of five in the 1930s? A single mother of five in the 1930s. Impossible. It seems impossible. Ain't no way. Yeah. Out fucking rageous. And she never remarried either. Yeah, this, that's this bitch. She, ooh, she needs to give lessons. So Elizabeth actually underwent lung surgery when she was 15 because she was having like really bad problems with bronchitis and some severe asthma attacks. And the doctor suggested that she relocate to a milder climate during the winter months to prevent further respiratory problems. Her mom then sent her to spend winters in Miami, Florida with some family friends. Oh, how terrible. Wow. I mean, this is really true. (laughs) So during the next three years, Elizabeth lived in Florida during the winter and then spent the rest of the year in Medford with her mom and her sisters. In her sophomore year, she actually dropped out of high school. I don't know how common that was back then. I don't either. Um, I I don't know. Yeah, and it didn't, I never found a reason why she dropped out of school. I mean, it wasn't a situation where she was pregnant or anything like that. It wasn't, she wasn't like trying to get married or anything. So I don't know. In late 1942, Short's mother actually receives a letter from her presumed dead husband. God damn. So this is 12 years that Elizabeth Short's mom thought that her husband was dead. What a complete fuck. What a dick. I don't like you, whatever the fuck your name is. I think his name is Cleo, and the mom's name is Phoebe. I think. Elizabeth's mom receives this letter, and it reveals that her husband is actually alive, and had fled to California to start a new life. What What is happening here? You know what? I'm just going to leave my wife with my five kids. Fake my death. Because I'm sad about losing my many golf courses. Even though everyone in the entire world lost all their shit. Right. What? That's... Get the fuck out of here, Cleo. That's the so Cleo? shitty. Yeah. Did I say Chloe earlier? Did you? I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe it's Cleo, y'all. <laughs> it's Cleo. Um, yeah, so how wild would that be to be Phoebe Short and just randomly one day after 12 years, after 12 years, you completely accepted this death. Yeah. You have your you have created a whole other life now. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you just get a letter. Hey, what's up? Not dead. Why send the letter? 
Why? Yeah. That's so stupid. Yeah. Just, just continue doing what you're doing. Yeah, just proceed with life. You're just fucking them all up now. I feel like an act of violence would come out of me mm-hmm. in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. The audacity. The audacity of this asshole. So later that year, Elizabeth actually decides to move to California and live with her father in Viejo, even though she had not seen this man since she was six years old. So she's 18. Right. Mm-mm. How fucked up is that? I would... She doesn't has no idea who this person is anymore. No. And barely remembers who he was. Of course. This is crazy. Um, but, shocker, not long after, she moves out because she and her father did not get along very well. I, I don't blame her. Yeah. I mean, he left because he basically didn't want to be a dad and a husband anymore, so... Yeah. Why would he all of a sudden just be like, you know what? I'll be a dad now. It's not how it works. Not how it works. So after leaving her father's house, Elizabeth took a job on military base at Camp Cook near Lompoc, which is now the Vandenberg Air Force Base. She lived with a few friends And she lived briefly with an Air Force sergeant who was actually pretty abusive to her. Around mid-1943, she moved to Santa Barbara. And September 23rd, 1943, she was arrested for underage drinking and sent back to her mother in Massachusetts. But instead of actually going to Massachusetts, she went to Florida and just briefly visited her mom and sisters in Medford. I always think it's crazy that people get arrested for underage drinking. I don't know why. I just, I understand that it's a law, but it seems funny that people actually get arrested for that. It seems like more of a hassle. It seems like way more of a hassle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, While Elizabeth was in Florida, she met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. Oh, no. Hated Mm -mm. that. He was a decorated Air Force officer at the 2nd Air Commando Group. Oh, my God. The military things really fuck me up. (laughs) Uh, He was training for deployment to the China-Burma-India Theater of Operations (laughs) of World War II. Oh, World War II was happening during this. Yes. It is World War II time. This Changes the whole vibe of this story, knowing that World War II is also happening. Yeah. Wild. You know what? Well, never mind. I have a thought and we'll talk about it later. Okay. So Elizabeth told her friends that Gordon had written to propose marriage while he was recovering from injuries that he sustained during a plane crash in India. She accepted his offer. But Gordon ended up dying in a second crash, August 10th of 1945, which is less than a week before the surrender of Japan ended World War II. Damn. Very unlucky. Sorry, Gordon. That sucks. Uh, She relocated to L.A. in July of 1946 to visit Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling, whom she had known from Florida, Fickling was stationed at Naval Air Force Base in Long Beach. She spent the last six months of her life in Southern California, mostly in L.A. Shortly before her death, she'd been working as a waitress and rented a room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Elizabeth has been described and depicted as an aspiring or would-be actress. I don't know what would-be means. Want to be actress, probably more accurate. Yeah. She did, in fact, have aspirations to become a film star, though she did not have any acting credits. Well, I feel like that was a big time for movie stars. I mean, especially in L.A. Right. And I think, like, we're getting into kind of what people call the golden age of Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, it's the 40s. Yeah. Like, the 40s and 50s, I think, is what people refer to as the golden age. Yeah. We're going to get into what actually happened to Elizabeth. 
On January 9th, 1947, Elizabeth returned to her house in L.A. after a brief trip to San Diego with Robert Manley, a.k.a. Red. He was a 25-year-old married salesman that she had been dating. Mm. Red stated that he dropped Elizabeth off at the Biltmore Hotel located at 506 South Grand Avenue in downtown L.A., and that Elizabeth was to meet her sister, who was actually visiting from Boston that afternoon. By some accounts... Staff of the Biltmore recalled having seen her using the lobby telephone, and then shortly after, she was allegedly seen by the patrons of the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge at 754 South Olive Street, which is approximately like half a mile away from the Biltmore Hotel. On the morning of January 15, 1947, Elizabeth's naked body was found severed into two pieces on a vacant lot on the west side of the South Norton Avenue, midway between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street in Lemert Park, Los Angeles. At the time, that neighborhood was largely undeveloped. She was only 22 when she was murdered. A local resident, Betty Bursinger, discovered her body at approximately 10 a.m. while walking her three-year-old daughter. Betty initially thought that she had found, like, a discarded store mannequin. Um, So that's terrifying. That is really horrifying. My God. Um, But she finally realized that it was not a mannequin and it was an actual corpse. And she rushed to a nearby house and called the police. So we all know that this case is so crazy because of, like, what actually happened to her. And we're going to tell you and it try to not be, like, super gross about it. I mean, it's gross. Yeah, it's it's pretty graphic, but it's the condition of her body is really, really important to the story. Yes, that's what makes it what it is. Exactly. So her body was, as everyone knows, severely mutilated, and it was completely severed at the waist and drained of blood which left her skin like a pallid white and medical examiners determined that she had been dead for around 10 hours prior to the discovery, leaving her time of death either sometime during the evening of January 14th or the early morning hours of January 15th. It appeared that like her body had been washed by whoever killed her. So that's odd. Yeah. They even said allegedly that it had been washed Like, wiped clean with gas. How weird is that? That's, that's weird. And this is the thing everyone knows about. Mm -hmm. Her face had actually been slashed from the corners of her mouth to her ears, creating an effect known as the Glasgow smile. Right. Which some people might also know as the Chelsea grin. Yes. So... You've got Chelsea, England, you have Glasgow, Scotland. Apparently those gangs over there used to do this as a form of torture. Yes. Which also has given us one of our other favorite metal bands. Chelsea Grin. Chelsea Grin. Pre-2018, obviously. She had several cuts on her thighs and her breast where entire portions of her flesh had actually been like completely sliced away. The lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper, and her intestines had been tucked neatly beneath her butt. That's so weird. And Uh, gross. It's so gross. This killer handled her innards. Yeah. I mean, I think other than, like, the, the Chelsea grin, the fact that she was completely cut in half... I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. Right. So she had actually been posed as well with her hands over her head and her elbows bent like at right angles and her legs were also spread apart. Near her body, detectives located a heel print on the ground amid the tire tracks and a cement sack containing watery blood was also found nearby. So that's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know if there was cement in the cement sack, 
Like, is there cement in it and just water sitting on top of the cement? Or is it just a sack full of water? Yeah, I don't... I don't know. Okay, so the autopsy. It was conducted on January 16th, 1947, by Frederick Newbar, the L.A. County coroner. Uh, his autopsy report stated that Elizabeth was five foot five, weighed 115 pounds, light blue eyes, brown hair, and badly decayed teeth. Um, not sure if that's incredibly relevant, but it was in the report. Um, there were ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, and a an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Newbar also noted superficial lacerations on her right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower left side of the chest. I don't... I don't know. I don't like, know if we're, like, talking, like... I feel, like, rib cage area... I don't Maybe. know. Chest makes me think above the breast. Yeah, that's true. Because this would make me think torso. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's confusing. Um, the body had been cut completely in half by it with a technique taught in the 1930s called hemicorporectomy. I think. That sounds right. Hemicorporectomy? Yes. Hemicorporectomy? Yeah. There we go. That's what we're going to run with. Perfect. The not that we'll ever have to use this word again. No. Not unless we decide to become surgeons yeah. in the 1930s. <laughs> I'm guessing this is something they don't do anymore. Cutting people in half? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. Doesn't seem to really have much of a use. Uh, the lower half of her body had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestine at the duodenum. Okay. Perfect. Uh, I'll tell you what that is here. It's like the part that connects your stomach to the intestine. Okay, gross. So, right. That's gross. Uh, Newbar's report noted very little bruising along the incision line, suggesting it had been performed post-mortem. There was another gaping laceration measuring about 4.25 inches in length and ran longitudinally from the umbiliscus to the... Suprapubic? suprapubic region. You guys, this you're now doctors after this. Yes. The lacerations on each side of the face, which completed her Chelsea smile, which extended from the corners of the lips, measured three inches on the right side and two and a half on the left. So that's, that's your whole face. Yeah, whole face. Whole face. I just measured my own. Um... The skull was not fractured, but there was bruising on the front and right side of her scalp with a small amount of bleeding in the subarachnoid space on the right side. What is she, a spider? Consistent with blows to the head. So she was, uh, looks like she had took some like blunt force trauma to the head a little bit. Yeah. The cause of death was actually determined to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations on her face and shock from the blows to the head and face. Um, Newbar noted that Elizabeth's anal canal was dilated at 1.75 inches, suggesting she might have been raped. Samples were taken from her body for testing, but the results came back negative, so there was no sperm present. Oof. So, but she was completely wiped down. So I'm That's not true. Not surprised that sh no semen was found, even though it appears she had been raped. And of course, it could have been with a foreign object. Right. So. That's that's what I assume. Right. 
we went through the particulars of the discovery and of the state of her body. Now we're going to talk about the media for a little while because they played a huge part in this case. Immediately after she was identified, which they were able to do almost immediately with her fingerprints because they are obviously had them on file from her arrest prior. Right. Um, immediately after she was identified, reporters from the Los Angeles Examiner contacted her mom in Boston and told her that Elizabeth had won a beauty contest in order to get information from her about Elizabeth's life. No. And it was only after getting all of this personal information that they could from Phoebe that reporters then revealed that her daughter actually didn't win a beauty contest. She had, in fact, been murdered. Why not just say that? The, yeah. Hey, did you hear about your daughter's murder? Can I get some information on her? Still shitty, but a whole lot less shitty. God damn. That's fucked up. Can you imagine? Like, if she'd won a beauty contest, why aren't you asking her? Exactly. Jesus. Mm. Uh, the newspaper offered to pay Phoebe's airfare and accommodations if she would travel to L.A. to help with the investigation. Why would the news media be offering this on behalf of the police? Right. Why are they, why are they making this call at all? Exactly. To sell newspapers. Uh, that was obviously another ploy, since the newspaper actually attempted to keep her away from police and other reporters in order to protect their hot scoop. Yep. This, that's a real dick move. Uh, yeah. The Examiner and another Hearst newspaper, the LA Herald Press, later sensationalized the case with one article from the Examiner describing the black-tailored suit. Elizabeth had been wearing as a, quote, tight skirt and sheer blouse. Here we fucking go. Here we go. The media nicknamed her the Black Dahlia and described her as an adventuress who prowled Hollywood Boulevard. Additional newspaper reports, such as one published in the L.A. Times on January 17th, deemed the murder a sex fiend slaying. So this is I, stressing me out. It's right. I don't know who they're calling the sex fiend though. Are they calling her a sex fiend or the murderer because of the anal dilation? That probably wouldn't have been out yet though. Guess what doesn't matter though. It well right yes her, her clothes yeah her clothes do not matter. And oh. also it says she was wearing a tailored black suit and then they had to sex it up. Of course she's wearing a tight skirt and a see through blouse. I doubt she was. No, she probably wasn't. She was, it didn't matter because she was, she was cut in half. Cut in half and stripped naked. Oh, that's so, that's so annoying to me. So annoying. All right. Uh, I should be able to walk around in a bikini and be fine. Yeah, and not get cut in half. Yeah. Are you saying that my bikini has warranted a strange man to snatch me, kill me, cut me in half, and display my severed body in public? Right. Yes, that's exactly that's, what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. Yeah. So, you just be careful out there. Yeah. Even though people, you know, get... Kidnapped, raped, and murdered while they're wearing fucking turtlenecks. Right. So. So, oddly enough, the media is actually pretty involved in the investigation. <laughs> so weird to me. <laughs> On January 21st, 1947, a person claiming to be the killer contacted James Richardson, who was editor of The Examiner. And the caller stated that he would eventually turn himself in but he wanted the chase to last a bit longer and um, to expect some of Elizabeth's belongings to arrive in the mail to the examiner, wherever their office may have been. On the 24th, a package indeed arrived and it was addressed to, quote, the examiner, 
with all the letters cut out of the newsprint. So that's fucking original. Mm-hmm. The envelope contained Elizabeth's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. Mm. And the packet had actually been, like, carefully cleaned off with gasoline, which is similar to how her body was cleaned. So that led police to suspect that the packet had been sent by the actual killer. Yes. Despite the efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were left on the envelope and sent to the FBI for testing, obviously. However, the prints were compromised in transit and could not be properly analyzed. For fuck's sake. Yes, of course they were. Why not? Yeah, so love that. March 14th, an apparent suicide note was scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper that was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue, Venice. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. Who is Mary? And who is f- she okay? Who the fuck is Mary? Um, no identification was ever made from this note or the clothes. Cool, cool. So we're on a fucking roll here. Yeah. On January 26th, another letter was received by the examiner, and this time it was handwritten, and it read, Here it is. Turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police. Black Dahlia Avenger. The letter also named a location at which the supposed killer would turn himself in. So police waited at the location on the morning of the 29th, but no one showed up. Of course not. Instead, at 1 p.m. that day, January 29th, the examiner office receives another cut and pasted letter, which read, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. How creepy is that? That is so weird. Gross. Mm, Gross. So a total of 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked on the case during its initial stages, and that included 400 sheriff's deputies and 250 California State Patrol officers. That is so many. That is so fucking many. How did they get nothing? How did they get nothing? And, like, what's the average number for investigators on cases now in 2021? Like, two? Not 750. No. It's, like, yeah, almost none. Yeah, maybe three. Maybe three. Jesus. Um, Various locations were searched for potential evidence, including storm drains throughout L.A. Okay, what is this, Pennywise? Yeah, I just feel like you're probably not going to find a lot there. Yeah, storm drains. They wash out. They, yeah, water runs in them. Into the ocean, I'm going to assume. Into the ocean. Jesus. (laughs) But they did also look in abandoned structures and various sites along the L.A. River, but the searches yielded no further evidence. Of course they didn't. City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis posted a $10,000 reward for information, which... 10,000 then is kind of equivalent to like 115,000 now-ish. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, So he posted that, wanting information. And after the announcement of the reward, various persons came forward with confessions, of course, most of which police dismissed as false. And several of the false confessors were actually charged with obstruction of justice. Good. Yeah, that's that's some good shit right there. When interviewed, lead investigator Captain Jack Donahue. <laughs> Captain Jack. If I could, like, be born again 
and be a man, I would want my whole, like, my full name to be Captain Jack Donahue. Yeah, it just sounds... He's a badass. Yeah. Um, so, Captain Jack told the press that he believed Elizabeth's murder had actually taken place in a remote building, or a shack, on the outskirts of L.A., and then her body was transported into the city where it was disposed of. Well, obviously. Obviously. That's not far-fetched. He's probably not doing this handiwork. Right. Where she was found. Yeah. Obviously, there wasn't blood splattered everywhere. And how are you going to just be out in the streets cutting someone in half? Yeah. Good job, Cap. Yeah. Way to connect those dots. So based on the precise cuts and dissection of Elizabeth's corpse, the LAPD looked into the possibility that the murderer had actually been a surgeon or a doctor or someone with some kind of medical knowledge, which that makes complete sense. Total sense. In mid-February of 1947, the LAPD served a warrant to to the University of Southern California Med School, which was located near the site where her body had been discovered, and they were requesting a complete list of the program's students. This, to me, is a very smart move. I agree. The university actually agreed, so as long as the students' identities remained private. So the background checks were conducted but yielded no results. And the case has been cold since. Yes. Um, I find it crazy that I wonder if they did more with the list of medical students, because I feel like background checks are not going to yield that much for you because no, there, there are a lot of serial killers who have a spotless record They just kill people and don't get caught, and then nobody suspects them because they have a spotless record. Right. So it doesn't seem like background check is really the direction you go with that. No. I feel like they would have needed to see if any of those medical students had ties to Elizabeth instead. Yes. That would have seemed more fruitful. Check their schedules, maybe. Check their schedules, check their acquaintance, where they like to hang out. Did they hang out at the place that she was a waitress? Right. Like, that type of thing. Yeah. Not, have you ever been arrested? Right. Like, have you ever gotten charged with drinking underage? Right. No one cares. No one literally cares. All right. So, obviously, there have been a handful of suspects over the years. Police actually interviewed over 150 men in the weeks following Elizabeth's murder. The first of which, Mark Hansen. He was the owner of the address book that arrived at the examiner with Elizabeth's belongings. So he was an obvious avenue to go down. He was a wealthy nightclub owner and theater owner and hat and an acquaintance Uh, of Elizabeth, and she had actually stayed at his home with some other friends in the past. According to some sources, he was also the one that confirmed the person Shu discovered in the alley were, in fact, Elizabeth's. That seems kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Elizabeth's friend and roommate, Ann Toth, told investigators that Elizabeth had recently rejected sexual advances from Hanson, and suggested it as a potential motive for him to have killed her. However, he was cleared of suspicion in the case. Don't know really why he was cleared. Yeah. But he was cleared. Our second suspect, Robert Red Manley, which was the married salesman that she had been dating, allegedly. He was one of the very last people to see Elizabeth alive, so he was a clear person of interest. Uh, He was eventually cleared, though, after passing numerous polygraph tests. Cool. Uh, Right. That means absolutely nothing to us. But I feel like in the 1940s... It meant everything. It meant everything. So, we're moving on to Martin Lewis. His name was found in Mark Hansen's address book with Elizabeth's belongings. He was known to be an acquaintance of hers and uh, was eventually cleared after police confirmed he'd been in Portland, Oregon with his dying father-in-law at the time of the murder. So that seems pretty airtight. Mm-hmm. And our last suspect is George Hill 
Hadell Jr. Bump it up. He was a surgeon. Oof. So we're going to call that red flag number one. Yes. He was never formally charged with the crime and uh, came to be more of a suspect after his death when he was accused by his son, L.A. homicide detective Steve Hodell, of killing Short and committing several additional murders. It's very bad when your own son is is accusing you. Yeah, and if your own son is a detective, like, with the LAPD, let's not be a murderer. Right, right. Let's not do that. Uh, Prior to the Dahlia case, he was also a suspect in the death of his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, but, again, was never charged. He was also accused of raping his own daughter, Tamar, but he was acquitted. Gross. He fled the country several times and spent 1950 to 1990 in the Philippines. So just a few short years after Elizabeth was killed, he fled to the Philippines. Suspicious. In 2003, it was revealed in notes from the 1949 grand jury report that investigators had wiretapped Hiddell's home and obtained recorded conversation of him with an unidentified caller saying, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary because she's dead. End quote. Well. Uh. <laughs> if that's a... If that's not close to a confession... That's very close. I'm not sure what else would be. Agreed. In 2013, further investigation of the case was conducted by retired police sergeant Paul Dosti and Steve Hiddell, who's now an author, and they also took police dog Buster. Oh. According to the San Bernardino Sun, the investigative team uncovered incriminating evidence against Hiddell's father, Dr. George Hill Hiddell, who the younger Hiddell has believed to be the Black Dahlia killer. In February of 13, the team did an extensive search of the home, and Buster had previously detected the scent of human decomp in several areas of the basement. According to their search, soil samples taken from Dr. Hodel's home were submitted for testing. Didn't find any results of that testing. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, it seems really unlikely that soil samples from 2013 would be able to yield any idea of what happened in the 40s. Yeah, this is like almost 70 years later. Exactly. That's wild to me. Yeah, soil erosion, people. I mean, there's no... I I really just do not think that the soil sample test would yield any usable information. No, I don't think so either, but... I mean, I also don't know, no. I don't either. Do we have any (laughs) geologists in the house? Chip might be one. Chip, are you a geologist? Uh, Please tell us about soil erosion and if it is likely that those soil samples would yield anything. Yeah, we need to know. We need to know this. And uh, that is a wrap on the suspects. Yeah. So we are going to talk about the couple of theories there are. Mm -hmm. So the first one is that she is linked to the Cleveland Torso murders, which makes total fucking sense. Yep. These took place between 1934 and 1938, so it was a little earlier. But the original LAPD investigators studied the Torso murders in 1947, but later discounted any relationship between the two cases. Okay. However, in 1980, new evidence implicating a former torso murder suspect, Jack Anderson Wilson, a.k.a. Arnold Smith. That makes sense. um, Was investigated by Detective St. John in relation to Elizabeth's murder. He claimed he was close to arresting Wilson for Elizabeth's murder, but that Wilson died in a fire on February 4th, 1982. That's really unsatisfying. Yeah. I don't really know why that's, like, why even report anything on this. Yeah. 
nothing. I know. I know. That's, yeah. The possible connection between Elizabeth's murder and the Torso murders received renewed media attention when it was profiled on the NBC series Unsolved Mysteries in 1992. I love Unsolved Mysteries. Same. I think those are on Netflix now. They are. Yeah. In which Elliot Ness biographer Oscar Fraley suggested Ness knew the identity of the killer responsible for both cases. All right, that's that theory. Yeah, that's not even really a theory. No, these are just like random tidbits. Yeah. Second theory is that this is linked to the Chicago Lipstick Murders. I really love that name, by the way. I do too. It's so much more clever than Torso Murders. I don't know how much I would like Lipstick Murder to be like a band name, though. No. It's, it just, Lipstick Murder sounds to me like it, it would be the band name of like a three-piece, all-girl, pop-punk band that I want to like, but don't really like. It would be a great song title. Yeah. Yeah, it could be a song title. Yeah. About these Lipstick Murders. Yes, that's all that's it the, could be about. That's the only that's the only explanation. So crime authors such as Steve Hodell, who was the son of George Hill Hodell, and William Rasmussen. I love that name for some reason. Rasmussen. Is it, is it because it sounds like Rasputin? Yes. And it makes you think of the the uh, Romanovs? Yes. Yes. Cool. Um They have suggested a link between the Elizabeth Short murder and the 1946 murder and dismemberment of six-year-old Suzanne Degnan in Chicago, Illinois. Captain Donahoe of the LAPD stated publicly that he believed the Black Dahlia and the Chicago Lipstick murders were, quote, likely connected. Cool, thanks. Among the evidence cited is is the fact that Elizabeth's body was found on Norton Avenue, which was three blocks west of Degnan Boulevard. Degnan being the last name of the girl that was murdered in Chicago. See, that I think could be completely left out. Norton Avenue, three blocks away from Degnan Boulevard means nothing. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. If she was found on Degnan Boulevard, then I would say, okay, you could state this as a possible connector. Right. Not... She was located a bit away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, three three blocks is a, kind of a long ways away in a city like that. It is, yeah. There were also striking similarities between the handwriting on the Degnan ransom note and that of the Black Dahlia Avenger. Both texts use a combination of capitals and small letters. So, like, the Degnan note read burn this for her safety and it was like uppercase lowercase uppercase it just like all over the place and also the word safety was spelled wrong (laughs) and both notes contain a similar misshapen letter p and have one word that matches exactly weird i doubt that is indicative yeah and i've always been interested in like handwriting and even though like, even the letters that you see where people are, like, posting out of, like, magazine articles and shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool to me. Because there's... Every person has a very specific way they use language. So even if they're not handwriting it, even if it's typed or whatever... Yeah. There's a way that people use vernacular that is specific to them. And I feel right. like if you read enough from one person... You could identify their writing, whether it was handwritten or typed. Absolutely. So. Super interesting. Convicted serial killer William Hirons served life in prison for Degnan's murder. He was initially arrested at 17 for breaking into a residence close to that of Degnan. And Hirons claimed that he was tortured by police, forced to confess, and made a scapegoat for the murder. Now... Sometimes this does happen. Yeah, I believe it. it is confirmed that he was, in fact, uh, tortured by the police, forced to confess. But I think that there is other evidence that linked him to Degnan. So I think it's pretty much confirmed that he did kill Degnan, but yeah. also that he was 
brutalized by the police. Yeah. After being taken from the medical infirmary at the Dixon Correctional Center on February 26, 2012, for health problems, he actually died at the University of Illinois Medical Center on March 5th, 2012, at age 83. And those are really the only theories. Yeah. And this is a tough one because... I really think the handwriting thing really stands out to me as, like, a real possibility. Yeah. But also, how, how do we deal with the George Hadell thing? Yeah, I think George did it. He I was agree. a surgeon. I couldn't chop a body in half. No. <laughs> Not that way. No. no. Um, all of the reports talk about the precision. Right. With which her body was severed and all of the lacerations on her were, like, scalpel quality. Yeah. So, I really, I think that it, we can all almost just fully agree that her killer was a doctor. Absolutely. There's no other real explanation for, I mean, a butcher maybe, but you're not, it's not the same. Even, like, her vertebrae. Yes, it was very intentional, and that person knew where they were cutting and what mm-hmm. they were cutting. Yeah. The fact that, that the way her body was cut is an actual procedure taught in medical school to cut between very specific vertebrae to sever the body. I think that is, like, the tipping point right there. Yeah, and no one was able to just Google this shit back then. No, Yeah. Absolutely not. These days, a person could probably teach themselves that from YouTube. Yeah. At least the theory. Mm-hmm. Back in the 40s, there's absolutely no way. No. Short of getting not. yourself a medical textbook. But... I just feel like people aren't going to go to that extent. No, they're not. They're absolutely... And I, you can't just go into the bookstore and buy a medical textbook. Right. Maybe, maybe... William Hirons didn't kill Suzanne Degnan. Maybe George did. That's crazy. Yeah. That could, I mean, that's likely. So maybe both theories are correct, except that William Hirons did not kill Degnan. But George Hadell killed Suzanne Degnan and killed Elizabeth Short. And that's why the writing for both notes is so similar i think we've solved it boom well you have i had no part in what you just said (laughs) solved it you guys solved it fucking solved it this is what you come here for yeah we're clearly on our shit when it comes to cold cases that's right i don't know why a cold case unit has not reached out to us yet i'm also confused about that because i feel like we're highly qualified To break that shit open? Absolutely. We're enthusiastic, willing, and highly qualified. Yeah, and we're wholesome. Incredibly so. (laughs) (laughs) Never made a dick joke on this show. Nope. (laughs) Well, (sighs) we're very glad that you have joined us once again. Hopefully you've been listening from the beginning. Um, but especially right now during spook season, because these have been some fun episodes. Yeah, spook and season is our favorite season. There's some good shit coming your way between now and... Now, our last spook season episode is really going to air, like, at the beginning of November. Right. It's serving a dual purpose. Yes. Because not only is it going to round out spook season, it's also going to be our anniversary episode. So we're going to do a very special I'm so story. fucking excited. And you should be what you should just be on the edge of your seats from now until November. And what is it going to be November 2nd? 1st. 1st. Okay. Mhm. Yep. And we also are going to have maybe a guest or two, maybe. And it's going to be super great. Aside from the anniversary story, which is going to obviously is the showstopper, but There's another story that we're preparing that I am so excited about, and potentially it's going to be a guest episode. Potentially. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, Don't know what what day that will actually air, because we have to do a lot of bulk recording because I will be out of the country, but I'm pumped about 
one particular story. This is like the best spook season I've had, I think, my entire life. Oh, yeah. It's epic. It's epic. Yeah. So. All right, you guys. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Haley and Ariel, we love you. Yep. Both of our hearts. There's only two of us here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we could count April and Artie. Yeah. They love you, too. They're just, like, downstairs, though. Yeah. Artie, he'll love you to death. He will fucking love you to death. He's what we like to call a struggle hugger. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If he had the strength of April... Bloodbath. Actual bloodbath. <laughs> he would not be fit to live in a house. No, he. I would have to release him to the wild. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on Instagram. Um, at this point, couldn't care less if you emailed us or not. Just please, for the love of God, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Emails almost basically. It's dead. It's dead and buried, so. Yeah. Whatever. Um. But you can subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen, and you can rate us five stars if you are on Apple Pods. Um, I don't know why they're the only ones that do that. I'm still salty about it. Go ahead and do that. And after you've done all of those things, we want you to just continue to be kind. And stay weird. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Bye.